right, friends, welcome back to the show. It is my honor to be joined on the podcast for the very first time. Carlos Whitaker, how are you, man? First time. First time, Luke. I'm, I'm hanging out with you. Pumped to be here with you, man. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a long time coming. I'm glad that we we made this happen. So we, we needed to meet each other. The universe... So many mutual yeah. friends. I know. So many mutual friends. It, it needed to happen. So. Yes. Now, can I give you maybe a reason why it didn't happen? Oh, um, yeah, please tell me. Here's something that I don't like about you. I'm just going to start the show with that. You, <laughs> you're, you're a preacher, but you can also sing. And I don't <laughs> like I don't like you people. Like I feel like you should be able to do one or the other. Pick a lane. Don't do both. Yes. And that's not Stay fair. Stay in it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because our the pastor at my church is like a ridiculous singer, way better than me. And uh, uh, yeah, he, he'll, you know, he'll end his messages and then he's just like... He just, he just starts singing a chorus and then the band just kind of comes in and the next thing you know, he's taking us there and I'm like, okay, that's, that's awesome. So I, I, you know, I don't get to do it as much as he does, but it is fun when I get to. I feel like I know what church you're part of in Nashville because of that. And I'm not going to say it, but one of my, uh, uh, one of the guys I get to work with who's a worship guy, he was showing me that and I was like, no, I don't like this guy. I don't like him either. No, I don't and like this like, guy. This, no. It's not fair to do both. And you, it's like that's Leviticus. So like you can't eat like a cow in its like calf's milk or, or mom's milk. Like there's something right. Levitical wrong about it. There has to be it. something. Yes, there has to be something wrong about that. Maybe, maybe by the end of the podcast, we can pull one of the books out behind you and find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something in there. We can find one commentary yeah, that's going to support this. That's right. Now, that's right. That's I, right. I, feel, I feel like we worked this. I think we're working through this problem, which is good because you're going to be in Austin at our church in I am. what is like a couple months from now when you're in I a am. tour with Annie. Yes, I am. The Here For You tour. And uh, Annie and I are coming. It's funny because, like, even at the point of this recording, we're still trying to figure out what we're gonna what what we're gonna be doing. You know, like like yeah. we're just like okay, so like what what is this? How do we kind of smash our communities together for one evening of of I, I think just hope, you know? And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe there'll be a song sung or not, but yeah. mostly it's gonna be a night of of conversation, mm -hmm. um, a night of uh, I think really infusing hope in a in a culture that is desperate for it. So I'm excited, man! I can't wait to come hang. Yeah, no, uh, we're, we're excited to have you here. I actually had a friend of mine from my gym, his wife, uh, sent me a message. Oh, Carlos is coming to your church. I love, and they never come to my church, but they're like, she's like, oh, I love Carlos. I'm going to come. And so I'm like, we've known you. I, we've been friends for years. It's never been like, hey, I want to come hear Luke on Easter Sunday. It's Carlos is in town. So we're going to. Uh, well, Luke, I'm glad I can, I can be the bridge in your friendships. I'm glad I could be the one. Yeah, that's, that's what you're here for. You're, you're making a bridge. <laughs> uh, so I heard you and Annie uh, talking. Uh, you were on her podcast when the book first came out, I guess, a month and a half ago. Is that something? Yeah. When, you, when did the yeah, book about, come out? About a month. A month uh, ago. June, January 24th. Okay. Uh, as we're recording this day, uh, me and a couple friends, uh, Mana Carpenter, Ashley Island, Steve Carter, um, are doing this like giveaway thing where, you know, whatever Instagram thing. And one of the things that we're supporting is people going to therapy. And so I yes. listened to your podcast with Annie and you start off talking about therapy and there's like some discussion from some people going, should I really do therapy if I'm a Christian? Can I just ask yep. like one question? Why in yeah. the world is that still out there? I, like I grew I up know. with a psychologist's father. And so maybe like I'm in a different group of people, but why, sure. why, why are people still asking, am I allowed to go to therapy? Yeah, I think because there's still a uh, a, a hyper religious uh, stigma around um, the word therapy and around you know looking for a human that God may have ordained to understand your brain to be able to help you, uh, as opposed to just going straight to God and praying and asking for Him uh, to fix it, which 
can happen and has happened to me in various, you know, moments of my life. But also I know that he can heal me and make that happen supernaturally through a therapist, you know, yeah. and through sitting and talking to someone. So yeah, man, you know, I'm, I, I love to bust that stigma and constantly, I mean, here's the deal. Like I was talking about my therapist, gosh, man, probably 16, 17 years ago. And I, man, the pushback I got then is a lot different than now, but people still are hanging on to that. You know, I, I think to some of that, um, just old school religious thought that maybe, you know, at some point, maybe it just kind of has to die off. Yeah. So it, it was a lot worse 16, 17 years ago when you first started talking about oh, yeah. it compared to now. Yeah. I, I literally, I literally, uh, I got prescribed Paxil, uh, for anxiety 16 years ago. And I remember putting it on my blog. I put up a picture of my Paxil prescription and going like, Hey, I feel alone. And I don't know if there's anyone else out there, but I don't know any Christians that take any, uh, sort of mental health, you know, medicine. Um, but I just want to let you know, I am. And bro, bro, the comments in, I mean, this was 20, uh, 2005 or something. I can't remember, but it was crazy that people were like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of any pastor or Christian leader saying that they take Paxil. Like I do too. I do too. I take Lexapro. I do too. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden I realized people are desperate to be seen and desperate to know there's, they're not alone. And so, yeah, that's what that was. Anyway, here's the cool part about my, my, my journey is that um, it's actually not a part of my journey anymore. Like, like I, have, I have been healed. Like I, I have found healing when it comes to my anxiety. Um, and that's not everyone's story. And I know that. But I like to tell that part because I, I like to be like, I had therapy and I found complete and total healing, uh, freedom and healing. So both can exist together. One can exist without the other. But it's something that I think we need to talk about more. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I had someone else on the podcast. I think he was, um, he was like the worship guy at Bethel. And he talked okay. about how, uh, or maybe Brian, this is terrible. I should Brian. Yeah. He talked about it and it was like a big deal in his community, like his circle, like, oh, wow, I can talk about this. And, and like, on the one hand, I, it, it surprises me that people are still there. Um, again, that's kind of the circles that I run in, not that. Sure. But uh, it's great to see he, yourself, and many others who said, hey, I'm doing this just so that others can be seen and go, okay, yeah, like this is a normal part of life. Yeah. This is not something to be afraid of. In the same way that Paul tells Timothy, take a little bit of red wine. Now, yeah, I don't think there's really any scientific support that drinking alcohol actually is good for you these days. Sure, But I sure. think the principle that Paul used is use what you got. And if you have yeah. this as a means to help you, and this is what you think is like, like do it absolutely do it. Use what you got. And, um, and you know, what you got is going to be different in different spaces, right? Like some people, some people, um, that listen to me talk about this. They're like, man, listen, I live in, you know, podunk tiny town in Montana, bro. Like there's not a therapist for 400 miles. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And the beautiful thing is now we've got these things called phones, yep. where if you can FaceTime someone, you can, the, the, almost every therapist I know now does virtual appointments. Yep. And so, you know, we're just getting to the point where it's, it's available for everybody. Yeah. If, um, if you want to be a human, one of the ways to yeah. how to be human is, uh, like take, t- take the resources in front of you and use them yes. as a way for God to bless you. Absolutely, man. Okay. Absolutely. So Love that's it. my segue into the book. It's entitled how yes. to human, uh, can we talk about the story that you start with where you're in the barber chair and, yeah. and it appears that you're a little kid. How old are you at the time? 
I think I was like five. I had to, my, my mom is actually the one that told me that story over again. I just remembered glimpses of it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a traumatic story from when I was five, and like I have yeah. a couple flashbulb memories, but like I don't. You, the, anyway, psychologists will talk yeah, about yeah. how you don't actually remember yeah. things until you're five or after. But nevertheless, okay. So you're there in the barber's yep. chair. Traumatic thing happens. It appears there's a kidnapping, and yep. everyone kind of rallies together. And the, yep, the, the memory you have from that tells you what about how people are supposed to and can function together. Yeah. My, the memory I have from that is there was a, uh, I, I would say a, a reflex, you know, like, like if, if the doctor hits your knee, your knee just pops. Yeah. It was that sort of reflex from every single person that I saw, like my barber, um, these other gentlemen that were sprinting uh, to chase and catch the bad guy. Like it, it was just a no again. And I say in the book, nope, nobody had a, a meeting about it. Nobody was like, Hey, Hey, can we get together and figure out where we all stand on politics and whatever before we go chase this guy together? No, every single person just ran after the bad guy. And that's what I, I, I kind of lean into from the beginning of the book is like, I feel like every human in some capacity still has it inside of them, no matter how gross of, of a dehumanizing person they are. I still feel like it's still there. Like yeah. the heartbeat of God is still inside of all of us. And that is a reflex to rescue. And I think it's in, in, in all of us. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite lines is from uh, John Calvin, who said that the path to God and the path to my true self are one. If I'm going to find God, mm. I'm going to find myself. But in, in who I am, like there's the image of God that's been imprinted upon me. And so living out of that is something that all of us have the ability to do. But it's kind of hard to, to get there for, for some yeah. of us, especially over the last couple of years has been tough because we all haven't been humaning very well. Very well. <laughs> it's true. We, we haven't been humaning. And you know, it's funny because I do use the word human as a verb, right? So yeah. the, 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 the title, how to human um, is like, okay, so how, how do we do this humaning thing? Well, and again, uh, and I try to be pretty straightforward at the beginning of the book to, to, to let everyone know that's reading the book that like, like, like the guide for the book may be Jesus, um, but you don't have to believe in the sovereignty and divinity of Jesus in order to still see the humanity of Jesus. And hmm. so what, what, what I really tried to do is open the book up to, to my Buddhist friends and my Muslim friends and my atheist friends that, that are like, yeah, Carlos, like Jesus is a really good guy, but I'm kind of triggered by the whole American Jesus thing. So I kind of try, I try to set him up as like, like, Hey, listen, I, listen, I believe I believe in all the weird, crazy stuff about Jesus, like the miracles, the Holy Spirit, the Son of God thing. But you actually don't have to in order to do the human thing well. So, you know, I use the humanity of Jesus, not necessarily the divinity of Jesus, um, to lead people on this journey. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, so far, so good from, you know, most of the responses I've gotten on the book. I think most people are, are, are into it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you lean into the humanity as a way to, you know, build a bridge to connect to yep. other humans, to show them some of the proverbial, the, the wisdom of Jesus about how to be a human. Uh, you said you've had some good responses. You're thinking about like your Buddhist friends as, hey, here, here's some of the wisdom of Jesus that you can jump into, even if you're not going to go on the divinity. What, yeah. if, if I'm talking to a Buddhist friend of mine, yeah. what do you think the first thing about Jesus that you'd want them to know about oh, how yeah. to be a human according to Jesus? Yes. Gosh, I, wow. Well, this is the... One of the better questions I've been asked from this concept, which a a for you, Luke. <laughs> um, um, but you know, I, I when yeah, you know, let, let's go to kind of current cultural climate. And there's there was all this big like 
to do about the he gets us campaign, Super Bowl ads, and like people were like, oh my God, like, you know, uh, Jesus is God. And, you know, there, there was just all that, right? So there's all that happening. Of that. A lot of that. Right. And, and all I kept thinking is like, you know, like whether or not you're you're into that or not, like they're humanizing. Well, that's what they were doing. They were humanizing yeah. Jesus and showing that Jesus had a lot of these same uh, emotions that that we have, that um, he, he, he stood for justice. He stood for, you know, all of these things that as humans, as all of us, we we want to rescue. And so that reaction of rescue is that same guttural reaction that Jesus was operating out of now. I believe he had the whole divinity side of things. I believe that he also is fully God. Um, but for my friends that, um, you know, I, and I also would say this even before, before I, I even say a statement like my Buddhist friends that aren't believing in the divinity of Jesus, I would say that also like, I, I just like, as I talk to, cause I, I do in the last two years, I have so many non-Christian friends that have come out of like, I, you know, I'd say probably maybe 40% of my followers on socials aren't Christians, which is just kind of crazy. Wow. And they, they come to me because they really like, they like the Jesus that I represent. Now, Ooh. I don't st- stop short there. Like they know that, hey, listen, if, you, if we get it in a relationship here, you're going to get the fullness of who I believe, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sure. that whole thing is. But they're invited into it by the, I think the simplicity, the uncomplicated version of Jesus. Gosh, man, we have just complicated uh, yeah. the Gospels. And I just try to uncomplicate it. So to your Buddhist friend, it's like, okay, let's, let's uncomplicate it. Who was Jesus? What was he trying to do? He was trying to give people freedom. What were the ways he was trying to give people freedom? Um, you know, I, I title a lot of the chapters like see bias, see compassion. Like yeah. I'm trying to pull out these things in Jesus uh, that um, I think can help us on this humaning journey. And so, yeah, I just really try to simplify it for my non-Christian friends. Yeah. I had one of uh, my friends who's Buddhist uh, come to a church service. I'm a pastor uh, a couple months ago. And afterwards I was talking with his wife and I, th- these are like some of my favorite conversations. She was like, you know, I like that talk you just did. That, I like that yeah. talk. I, and I like, cause it's just like, there's insider language we get so accustomed to and to hear someone oh, else's sure. perspective. Hey, you know, you said some things that were interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah. That, so for me, like I, I, the fact that a friend of mine would, would trust me enough to come try a church service out yeah. when that's not his religion, like that means a lot to me. And so when I hear you say you have 40% of your online community, your Insta fam, as you might say, as yeah. not a part of the story of Christianity, th- that seems like an amazing thing to me why do you think um, they are part of your family if you don't have that, that common bond of Christianity? Yeah, I'll tell you what they say. I'll just tell you what they say. Sure. They, they say. they tell me, man, I just like to follow you because you're a good human. I just like to follow you because you're, you know, and, and I just, I like to help people. And I like, you know, we raise money for people in need. And again, that, that human reflex of helping, people want to yeah. do that. They want to join in that. I have, I have conversations about cultural issues that affect them, not necessarily through a uh, Christian lens primary. I mean, that's my lens, but yeah. I, I, I have the conversation in a way that people outside of um, my evangelical tradition can lean into those conversations. So I guess like I just, like I just have a really big table and, mm-hmm. and people are like, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm into this. You know, I, it's so funny because people, you know, I uh, last summer raised, I, I think we raised like $120,000 to build like eight churches in Uganda. And I had, I had uh, one, one um, story in particular. It was a, <laughs> it's so crazy. I still can't believe it. It was a group of witches. Okay. W- witches, like, like they practice Wicca. Okay. okay. So witches that follow me on Instagram. 
that um, they were reading my book, Enter Wild, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and um, they were trying to learn about, about Christianity or, or whatever. And they together raised $150 to help build this church. And they, this is what they said on their story, one, or one of the ladies. She said, um, you know what? Like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe anything Carlos believes, but I trust him. And since I trust him and he says this is going to be good for people, I'm going to give money. And mm. so, you know, it's just like, Wow. You know, it's not, again, it's not complicated. You know, I, 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 uh, I just try to uncomplicate it as much as I can. If you were trying to coach someone up on how they could get their own, I know you have the Whitaker witches. Uh, I just like the alliteration. <laughs> I feel like that's a t-shirt waiting to happen. Yes. If you're trying to coach someone Please. up so that they could create a space where people feel comfortable, whether they're connected to the same religion or not, yeah. anything else you'd say, Hey, this is something I, I would recommend you doing to create that. Yeah, uh, hang out with people that aren't in your religion. Hang out with people that aren't like you. I, I say it, my, the way I say it is, you know, hang out with people that don't look like you, think like you, vote like you, and love like you. Yeah. Like if you, if, you, if you hang out with them, then that's who's going to start hanging out with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so th- I, I think that there's one thing to do that um, offline, but it's another thing to do it online, right? Because now when I do it online, now I'm up against... Uh, people looking at me and say, oh, well, Carlos is watering down his faith or, oh, well, Carlos is lo- backsliding because look who he's hanging out with. And, oh, you know, and so, so when you do it in public like that, you know, yeah, there's going to be more people that maybe throw some jabs at you. But, man, I, that's not what it's about. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what those people say. So, uh, yeah, just hang out. Uh, start hey, literally hanging out with those people, and you're going to start uh, seeing that they're going to be attracted to you. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a yeah, very Jesus. Not thing too to complicated. Like, love yeah. people, share meals with <laughs> love them. People. You, you, yeah. You have this line: uh, "Don't stand on issues. Walk with people." Did I get the line right? Don't, you don't got st- it. Stand on issues. Walk with people. It seems that what you're describing is walking with people. It seems that yeah. the reality for most of us is that we stand on the issues. What do you, would you say the yeah. byproduct, the fruit of standing on issues is? What does that create? Yeah. Well. Yeah. So. Here's the thing, like, that's a nice bumper sticker or a T-shirt. Don't stand on it. I actually printed a T-shirt once with it, and I stopped printing it because I'm like, I actually suck at this. Like, like, this is really fun to say, and it's very tweetable, but it's really hard to do. The byproduct of standing on issues is you create distance between you and other people that that were created in the image of God. So when you stand, you're immovable, right? When you're standing, you're not moving. You're not going anywhere. When I say walk with people, I'm not saying turn your back on your values. I'm not saying that that's what we have to do. If you stand on issues, or excuse me, if you walk with people and don't stand on issues, doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion on issues. Like I, I, I am very, people that follow me know I am very opinionated on a lot of things. I am like abolish the death penalty. I'm like, I got, I got some stances, right? I got some things. But what I've got, what I had to learn to do is to walk with people that are in the midst of that issue, not just in the midst of that issue, the way I believe, but in the midst of the issue in the way I may not believe. So what that's done is that practice in me has begun to force myself to be in relationship with people that I vehemently disagree with mm-hmm. about a lot of things. But guess what, man, the, the fruit of that has been so overwhelmingly better than the fruit of standing. The fruit of walking is relationship. It's, um, it's being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's growing. It's empathy. Uh, the fruit of standing on an issue and not moving 
gosh, man, you become ice, you become a stone, you yep. become hard, you become some, somebody that nobody wants to even speak with. And so, yeah, I, th- I think Jesus did that. I think I look again, we go back to Jesus. I think that be- Jesus walked with people and that's what we've got to get back to. And it's so hard, man. 2023, we got opinions. Everybody's got yard signs. Everybody is, um, but, but uh, yeah, I'll say it again. Don't stand on issues. Walk with people doesn't mean you turn your back on your values. It means you turn your heart towards the person. Uh, and that's the whole goal of how to human. That's the whole goal of my book of what I'm trying to get people to do. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's, it's purpose. You know, it's, it's, it's important. Yeah, it's important. Very important. But it doesn't come without uh, criticism. One, one of the things that I value is trying to uh, bring together uh, things that have been divided by our culture, specifically people and groups of people. And yeah. the criticism is, oh, well, you're just trying to do this moderate in the middle thing and you're not going to stand for anything. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it just seems like, okay, especially as a white person, like, oh, you're just the, you know, the, the white person that Dr. King wrote about where, you know, you're the problem because you're not standing up and you're being too quiet or you're too passive. H- how do you respond to the criticism? Okay, that's nice that you want to walk with people. But if there are serious issues, like, for example, you, you bring up the death penalty, that's, that's an issue you stand strongly on. Yeah. If you really care yeah. about that, then you need to draw a line in the sand and fight yeah. tooth and nail for it. Yeah, so I will draw a line in the sand. I will, draw, I will fight tooth and nail for it, but I will never dehumanize another person to the point where I can't walk with them. So, yes, you can. You can have strong opinions. People have opinions on being pro-life or pro-choice and all these things that are very dear to their hearts and close to who they are. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't be in relationship with somebody and walk with somebody that vehemently that you vehemently disagree with on those things. And I would actually, I would actually say this, too. I don't even want to, I don't even want to just sugarcoat this and say, well, I, I think we should all be able to stand uh, people and just deal with people that aren't like us. No, I believe that we're called to actually have like life giving relationships with people like that. And so, no, like I'm not talking about just be in the middle, be moderate about everything. No, I'm talking about walking with people really means um, y- yes, you, you have your line in the sand, right? Like, like there's a lot of things that come up every single day that we have an opportunity to draw a line in the sand on, but it doesn't mean that we can't cross that line to talk to people and to walk with them. You know, I, people just get so, we get so in like, we can't be wrong. We can't change our minds. I actually have, uh, it's in my backpack. I've got a change my mind journal that I try every week to change my mind on something okay. every single week. Sometimes they're real. So like, like at one point it was like, um, uh, no knock warrants. Like I, I changed my mind on no knock warrants from like okay. the middle of 2020 to the end of 2020. Some of the, sometimes it's not that deep. Sometimes it's like broccoli. I've hated broccoli my whole life. I'm going to change my mind on broccoli. How can I learn to eat it? But I think that we've got to learn to, to be open and to learn and to be curious and curiosity leads to empathy and all of these things. Learn to change your mind. It's okay to say, I, I think I'm shifting on this. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm starting to go other, I, other No, no you're, you're doing good. Uh, I think empathy is key. We have to be empathetic. We have to try to imagine how could I be, ever make that decision? How could I ever be in that perspective? Or how could I be in that camp? It's not easy to get there without curiosity, like you said. I love the way you said that. Yeah. Um, a change your mind journal. That's fascinating yeah. to me. What are ways that help you? Okay, so it's empathy, curiosity. Those are things that help you yes. change your mind? Absolutely. Empathy, curiosity. But then I also like, um, if I'm having a lazy week where I'm not super empathetic and I'm not super curious, I, I literally like, I, I have one. <laughs> this is, this is going to be funny. But I literally was like, oh, you know what I want to change my mind on this week? Because I wrote this book, How to Human. I hate Tom Brady. 
I can't stand him. So you know what I'm gonna do? I know. I'm sorry. I, let me tell you why. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, so there's just <laughs> okay, yeah. there, there's, there's, there's some wounding. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some wounding. Say so less. I was like, I want to change my mind on Tom Brady. So I literally Googled like good news Tom Brady stories, and I, I was like, I changed my mind. So I was like, I changed my mind on Tom Brady. So, but I love to do that. I just think that we, if we, if we can get into changing our mind more on things, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not changing my mind on everything, but I think that we need to learn that it's okay. For that yeah. to happen. Yeah. No, I mean, as a Falcons fan, I can get where you're coming from. Yeah, listen, can but, you get where I'm coming but from? But now that we're about 28 minutes and three seconds into this conversation, um, we're going to pivot to something else. Sorry. Sorry yeah. I did that to you. Um, but uh, that's a football rip. Anyway. Um, okay. You tell a story. 28-3. I get you. Okay. Um, I'm proud of that. Uh, here's Okay. So like one of your other friends who you had a falling out with, I feel like we just did over that reference right there. Um <laughs> You tell a story about a friend, longtime friend, who I think you guys rooted for the Atlanta Falcons together. And during the last election cycle, you realize that like he's kind of iced you out. Like he, he doesn't follow you yeah. on social and the relationship kind of fell apart. I think many of us can relate to how that happened with the relationship during especially yeah. the last election cycle. First of all, a couple questions. First one, why yeah. do you think that happened to so many of us? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first qu- the first question is, we we you know people are like, well, how come it didn't happen in twenty sixteen as much as it happened in twenty twenty, or how come it didn't happen in you know twenty two thousand eight? Yeah. And I'm like, well, here's the thing, we collectively in twenty twenty went through global trauma together. So yeah. so so like like we we were just walking in to that season already like the Walking Dead, like we were just destroyed. And so since we collectively went through trauma together, I I promise you. That was the reason why we couldn't handle some of the things maybe we previously could have handled. So we, we just, we were raw. And yeah, so I, I think that's the reason. So I think that, yeah. that would answer that first question is what, why? I think that's why. Yeah, I think there are lagging consequences to the social isolation that we experience. Yep. And processing trauma during isolation, yeah. not a good recipe for health for anyone. Well, okay. I, and I got one more answer. Okay, so, so I'm glad you said that because... I think the second thing is we now have more access to people's thoughts um, that I honestly don't believe we were ever supposed to have access to. So hmm. like, I, I just, I, I don't think that we were ever supposed to know everything we know. I, th- I think our souls and our psyche weren't created to know and consume everything we know. I wasn't supposed to know. I, I'm not supposed to know everything that's happening all around the world all the time. And so I, I think that's, that was another key piece yeah. is we found ourselves knowing too much. Yeah. I think some people talk about that as trauma fatigue because you know yeah. every traumatic thing that's happening all around the world because that's what fills up our news cycles. And you know, there's a billion yeah. reasons why that happens. But yeah, so there's a lot that's going on. Things are different. Um, yeah. many, many people found themselves in a situation like you did where a relationship kind of went sideways. But... There, there's a great ending that your relationship didn't didn't stop. It didn't didn't cease. Could you kind of tell the story yeah. from from there on how it was kind of yeah. rejuvenated? Yeah, you know, so the 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 relationship kind of soured when in 2020 I, I started speaking up just to uh, things of justice and um, was really leaning into trying to help people with racial reconciliation and see racial bias and a lot of things. And so suddenly, a good friend of mine that's like, bro, who? who are you, man? Like you never talked about this stuff. And so, um, we just kind of fell apart, you know, and, and I started seeing things he was posting on Twitter and 
I was like, oh my gosh, dude, this is like my close. I can't believe he believes this stuff. And then he's seeing the same thing with me. Well, come to find out my wife, we, we don't talk for a while. And my wife invites him and his wife over for dinner, not knowing that me and him just aren't, aren't cool. Yeah. And I just remember being like, wait, what you invited them over. And she's like, yeah, why? And I was like, uh, kind of explained it. She's like, well, I, you better get to work, you know? And so he comes over and man, I, I just, you know, we were able to have, we just got straight to it, man. And we were able to have a conversation about, about, listen, I, I've stepped into a part of me, the black part of who I am because of this reason. And I was re really able to unpack those things to him. He had, he had some ignorance that was not of any fault of his with, with me and why it was so important to me. And so I was able to talk about my, my Afro-Latino roots and about my father, who's a black Panamanian. And just because he's from Panama doesn't mean he's not black, you know, ethnicity and race are two different things. And suddenly I'm like, I'm like teaching on all of these things. And I'm watching his draw, his jaw kind of hang open where he's like, Oh, I've never thought about it like that. Right. But I'm doing it in a grace filled way. And although we never got to a place where we agree, you know, politically, what I did decide to do was, I said, hey, buddy, let's let's to, to get this relationship back together. Let's root for something together. So mm -hmm. we bought we bought season tickets next to each other to Nashville SC, which is our, you know, our MLS team here. And every single week or every time there's a home game, we show up next to each other in our same jerseys, cheering for the same team. And there's just something special about standing next to him cheering, high-fiving each other, rooting for the same thing, that makes me realize, you know what? There's probably a lot more that we can root for together too, not just this. So, you know, that was just, that, that was a story in the book that I tell in the book that really helped me realize that maybe, maybe some of these relationships can be recovered. Yeah, no, I love the way that sport brings people back together and it can yeah. be this unifier thing, unifying thing that, that uh, allows people to bridge some... Uh, yep you know, substantial divides. And absolutely, I, I don't think it's completely independent of part of what happened during COVID where people got divided is that you weren't in stadiums rooting together and you weren't watching I games agree. together. I, I, I agree. I've actually never thought about that, but it is true. There was a vacuum in cheering. Like there was a vacuum in, in this camaraderie that went away. And I 100% agree. I think it definitely is related. Yeah, definitely. Now, Whenever I, I had a friend uh, who's an older mentor preacher who is, you know, no one's going to consider him to be a liberal by any stretch of the word. Yeah. No one ever would. Um, he preaches on race and justice, and it's, it's a central issue to him, and he's done a lot of things for it. And hundreds of people leave his church. And right. this isn't like some guy with an Obama you know, sticker on the back of his, his truck. <laughs> that's not who he is. Uh, not saying there's yeah. something wrong with it, but that's just not who he is. But people still just talking about race causes people to leave. Yeah. They, they don't want to be around. Yeah. They don't have something to keep them sitting next yeah. to the person who's different from them. And yes. I, I love the idea of sports. Like, hey, we're going to sit next to each other. Yeah. And we're going to figure this out because we, we don't want to leave. Absolutely. You know, and I have so many pastor friends who that was their story as well. Um, deeply conservative friends who saw me and honestly, like they were like, Carlos, can you come speak on this? Can you, you know, and, and then because of those conversations, people left and, you know, it's, it is what it is. You have to kind of choose, uh, at, at some points to stand up for something, uh, 
Yeah. And when you do, when you do, people are going are gonna to leave. You know, a lot of people left with me when I, when I started talking about all this stuff on my socials. Like I was, I had a primarily white evangelical uh, base that followed me on, read my books and listened yeah. to my music and all the things. And uh, it was, it was very shocking for them. And, and hindsight, I look back and I'm like, you know what? I, I would have been shocked too if suddenly someone I followed began to speak out on things. But Luckily, a lot of them have come back and, you know, are now allies in, in a, a lot of this, this work. Why do you think they came back? Um, because I think that 2020, uh, again, the, the trauma of it created some unrealistic viewpoints um, of what the conversation was really about. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, we, you go, we leak into 2021 and we, you know, start talking about Black Lives Matter and suddenly it's, it's a conversation about an organization and not a conversation about injustice. And so I, th- I think once um, once people were able to and honestly, like I put a lot of work into educating and once people w- were listening to what I was saying and educating them in very grace filled ways and very um, inviting ways, I think people are like, oh, OK, wait a second. Carlos isn't trying to just take a wide brush and paint me as a racist. Like he's really trying to help me learn. And I mean, even today at the point of this recording, I, I put up a, a, a reel about, you know, I, when I walk out of my front door as a black man living in Tennessee, about 20 yards from me, there's 12 um, Confederate flags waving in the wind. I see them every single day. And uh, I was like, hey, let's talk about this. So I talked about it. Right. Uh, But sure enough, I've got about 20 DMs from people that are like, well, Carlos, like, you know, like I I just I I think you'll be erasing history if you take them down and we can't erase history or else history will repeat itself. And so I've been able to have conversations with these people in my DMs um, in a way that I wouldn't have been able to, I think, if they were following me in 2020. I just think that it, everything was so raw uh, that I, I think there's been some time that's passed that, that the uh, ability for me to teach on these things is a little easier. Good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that sometimes sports are the place where you could have someone who is, uh, like, for example, in the gym that uh, I train him, there were law enforcement officers who worked the marches, and then there were people of color who were at the marches and they're training next to each other and they were quote unquote yeah. on opposite sides. But then you get in the gym and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, we're both doing the same thing. And so we're here together. Yeah. I, unfortunately, the sacrament of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed doesn't always have the same effect as sport. And that's kind of depressing. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah. That is that's, kind of depressing, but, but no, man, it is, it is true. And I, I do love that sports does that. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, I do think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. One of the things you talk about, about how to be a human, is that you got to see. And including mm. uh, in the category of, of seeing is you have to see bias. And you have to see yeah. some of the things that we all bring to the table. If someone wants to be human and they want to learn how to see the bias that they have, where do they get started? Yeah. Um, well, first, the first thing you have to do is, I think if they're asking the question, then they've admitted Okay, I, I must have some sort of bias in me. If there's no admittance that, that it's living in you, then you're not going to see it. Yeah. Once you admit it, uh, I think then you can start looking towards it. You know, and so like it's for me, obviously, like I'm, I'm speaking of racial bias. There's all sorts of other bias. There's, you know, sexism bias. There's, you know, um, ageism. There's a lot of things. Uh, but I, I would say, okay, what, what are, maybe start looking for them as they pop up in your day to day. Maybe start looking for how, how are you feeling about going to a certain grocery store or getting in an elevator with a certain person or, 
um, you just start, you literally start asking yourself those questions. You know, I talk about, I have a racial bias towards old white gentlemen in the South. Like I, I just, my reality has painted them as racist and that's a bias because that's actually not true of most old white gentlemen in the South. But I had to confront that bias. And then once you kind of realize what it is, uh, you, you, the, be- the best way to smash it is to go walk with that person that you have bias against. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and against may be too strong of a word. It's not like, you know, uh, you have bias against somebody. And so, like, there's this big, strong thing. Most of the time, bias is just so... It's so small yep. and unnoticeable that we have to do the work of really noticing it in order to in order to crush it. So, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's not fun to do, uh, but I think it's important work to do. And I try to go first as a black guy. I try to always go first. And a lot of DEI talks that I do or if I'm helping somebody, I'm like, hey, look, if I can do it, you can do it, too. So can I ask uh, a more granular question about uh, the bias yeah. that you just mentioned of yourself with old white dudes? Yeah. What, when did you realize that you had that bias towards old white dudes? Yeah. So, um, well, I guess the realization came when, um, there was this, I have a neighbor across the street from me that is an old white dude and actually next door to me too. And they both live alone. And when I first moved into this house, I, um, uh, went to meet all my neighbors and all of them were nice, except this one dude across the street. He just would not give me the time of day. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't look me square in the eye. And I just remember thinking like, oh, old white dude with an American flag hanging from his door. He's, he must hate me because I'm black. Um, and, and when I had the thought, because I remember the thought really creeping in my head when we first moved in, I thought, huh, th- that may not be true, Carlos, but I didn't do anything about it. I just let it fester because it, my bias was created by real life experiences where I've been called the N-word by old white Southern gentlemen. So therefore... That story has written something in my brain and implanted some bias. Um, and so um, where, how it kind of got squashed was uh, one day during 2021, I think it was 2021, maybe it was 2020. Um, during all, actually it was, it was 2020, it was during the, all the George Floyd protests. I remember seeing this, and I'd lived here for five years at the time, my old white racist neighbor across the street um, walk out. Uh, and he has these two white porcelain bunnies in his front yard. You know, the kind that your grandma has in her sure. backyard. Sure. And, uh, and he kneels down in front of those bunny, one of those bunnies and he starts to paint one of them black. And I remember thinking, I mean, is it like Vietnam war paint your bunny black day? Like what's happening? Uh, and, uh, he just paints one of them black. He gets up, walks back inside. I was like, that, w- that may be the weirdest thing I've ever seen anybody do. Like, yeah. why would this dude walk out and do that? Again, he lives alone. Doesn't talk to anybody. Doesn't talk to me. So the next day I walk back across the street. And I, I realized that was the first time I'd a- ever actually walked into his yard while he was standing there getting his mail. And I was like, excuse me, neighbor. And he turns to me with that same scowl he always has on his face. But now it turns into like the biggest smile I've ever seen. And he's like, well, hi, my name's James. And I was like, oh, my God, the racist dude is nice. Like, what's happening? Well, I, I go to ask him. I was like, why did you paint the money black? And he's like, well, Carlos, I, I, I've lived here since 1964. My parents hired a black servant to raise me. She taught me how to brush my teeth, comb my hair, do mathematics. I can't imagine anybody looking at a black person any differently. So this is my way of saying that your life matters to me. I could have painted them both black, but I thought I'd paint one black. Dude, Luke, my jaw was just hanging on the ground. And here I was, like case study 101 of 
of a guy with bias that it was smashed in his face because I walked across the street and I got up close. And so, yeah, that, that's when I realized I had a bias and that's also how I smashed my bias. Wow. That's a great story. And yeah. I love that he, it's a little bunny. I mean, it's, it was a bunny, bro. It's not <laughs> a even a like, white bunny. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many questions I have, like what, what made him do that? Like, it's just a bunny, like flags, but Hey, it worked and it got you to walk across the street. And in some ways yeah. it was, you know, waving, a, uh, an olive branch to, to you, yep. even though he, I don't know if he was intentionally doing that towards you, but that's beautiful. And now that there's this, I, it was, yeah. And now that you guys have this relationship that didn't exist before, I mean, that's, that's great. That's great. It is. It was beautiful. So uh, one of the other things in the last section of the book, you talk about freedom, about being free yeah. as being a human. What, I, I, big category here. Let me give you one specific question. In what way do you think most humans, most of us live as humans who are more in captivity than we know? In what way are we, mm. are we not free? Yeah, I think that I think a lot of a lot of people are um, are bound by lies that they believe about themselves. I I feel like, like the captivity that we're, that most humans are in Christians or non-Christians are, we're bound, we're bound up by lies. So that, that's where, that's where all of, you know, all the self-help books, all those things are, are literally just trying to help us break the lies that we agree with. And so that is, that, that's, I, you know, and I have a whole other book called kill the spider where I dive into that piece um, of lies and agreements that, that you have. But, you know, as I do this work and as I, as I speak to corporate America on how to human, or I speak to faith spaces on how to human, a lot of the agreements that people have, we've made over the last two years. And there may not be, you know, agreements about even yourself, but there are agreements that we've made. And this is in our bias about other people that are just wrong. They, they just, you know, once those agreements and those lies crumble, I mean, that's the, that's where we start to find freedom, freedom in relationships, freedom with ourselves, uh, freedom with God. You know, I, the, the lie that I believed for a long time wasn't a lie about anybody else. It wasn't a lie about me. It was a lie about God. It was a lie that I felt that God had abandoned me. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I reflected a life of, uh, of one that was abandoned by God. Yeah. And once, once I replaced that lie with truth, you know, man. And, and so here's the thing, like, like you get to the end of the book and it's like, I, I do believe that, that every human Christians are not are bound in some way, shape or form. I do believe that you can find some semblance of freedom without the truth of the gospel. I do. I, that's why, I mean, there's secular psychologists that can help you find some semblance of freedom, but I, I, I am as authentic as I can be when I say, I don't feel like you'll find full freedom without the full picture of the gospel, the blood of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And you know, that's the, that's the point of my funnel, man. That's where I try to, yeah. you know, I, ha- I have a wide entry point, but it's always going to end up there. And that's the freedom that I hope people find. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, I love uh, the story, I guess it's from your dad. I think it's a, your dad tells this thing about uh, the boat to make a long journey and, you know, just one degree off makes a huge difference. Maybe not in the initial moment, but you get days down the road and all of a sudden you're a completely different continent. Uh, it it yeah. seems like that's where many of us find ourselves. It wasn't like there was like this one precipitating incident that changed everything, but it was just small, little, gradual, yeah. gradual changes that happen over and over. And we and we forget and we lose the ability to live into the image of God that we have inside of us. So I love that what you're trying to do is say, hey, there, there's a way to be human again. Yeah, just a little bit. It's just a tiny shift 
Uh, and it, it always feels so insignificant, right? It, the, the tiny shift always feels like, well, I mean, what big difference is this going to make? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it may not make a big difference in a, in a week, but I promise you that in a year or a decade, it, it will. Yeah. Uh, the book's been out for about a month now. Uh, yep. What's your favorite conversation you've had about the book since it's been out over the last couple of weeks? Huh. Um, you know, I, I think that I was actually on a podcast the other day with Emily Freeman. Oh, Emily um, P. Yeah, Emily P. And um, she doesn't really do interviews on her podcast. She, she only does a, a few. And so I felt honored she would ask me. But, but in that, we, we really dove into um, the piece in the book where I discovered I was black. Like, like, like literally like, like the, you know, that, that piece of conversation. And, and I feel like that is more and more something that, you know, not even the blackness of who I am, but that I love the conversations of helping people be human, helping people be fully who they were created to be. Like if you're, I tell people all the time, like if you're, if you're like Italian, you have an Italian grandma that wakes, makes pasta and you are not making pasta on a monthly basis, a homemade pasta. Like, what are you doing? Like, like you're not being fully human. You're not being fully part of who you are. And so, um, that uh, my conversation with Emily P. Freeman was maybe one of my favorites. People can go listen to that one on her podcast. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about podcasts, I would assume that this is the next one yeah. on the list, but uh, yeah, 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 I mean, it's fine. That's fine. Emily can do uh, that. Uh, I next mean, time, next time somebody d- asked me that, I'll be like, dude, I talked to this guy named Luke yeah. and like, I love when he asked me this question. Yeah. And, uh, to quote Emily, that would be the next right thing for you to do. That would be the next right thing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So you're turning 50 in a short period of time. And one of the things you've committed to do is that you're going to learn 50 new things, including while you and Annie are on tour, that you're going to try to learn new things. I I heard that you, uh, Rubik's Cube, is that one of the things that you were learning? Uh, Yep. I I, I learned the Rubik's Cube in a minute and 20 seconds. Okay. That's kind of psycho. So good for you, man. Um, But you're leaving some spots open. You want to learn different things in different places that you guys end up. Yes. Have you thought about what you want to learn when you come to Texas? I I have not, but... um, I, since we're going to be in different parts of Texas, mm-hmm. I need like a true Austin thing. Like, like okay. I need, like, I need to know, I want to learn something truly local. So like, if somebody okay. can figure that out, if you can help me make that happen, okay. Luke, I'm going to, I'm going to learn something there. 50 okay. by 50, bro. 50 by 50. All right. I like the attitude. I like what you're working on yeah. and, uh, look forward to having you here in Austin. Congrats on the new book, how to human. And thanks for turning that noun into a verb. Yeah, uh, that's, that's impressive. You're, you're welcome, man. You're welcome. I, the publisher didn't like it at the beginning, but then I was like, <laughs> sorry, that, it's, it's what we're doing. We're not, we're not changing. We're not moving this. So <laughs> anyway, congrats on the book, and uh, we look forward to having you down here in Texas soon. Awesome. Right on, man.